Welcome, listeners, to episode 10 of The Inside Swoop. Uh, my name is Stephen Riley. My uh, companion on the swoop is Marcus Wagner. Uh, notice the pronunciation. There's a progress over the 10 episodes that we've, we've now recorded. Um, a weekly or semi-weekly, quite possibly a fortnightly look at uh, all things Collingwood. And uh, welcome, Marcus. Thank you, S. Great to be back and uh, yet another new location for us to record from, but we are, uh, we're rotating the strike very well, but it's uh, yeah, good to be back in our semi-regular spot, but um, I guess straight off the top, we've got to address some feedback we received from our fearless leader, Jeffrey Walsh, uh, on his um, on his so-called... I guess, amazing injury report, but I, I guess for Walsh's sake, he, as he would say to the boys before a Mad Monday session is, if you stuff up, retribution will be swift and severe, so I guess we should be swift and well, severe in our retaliation Listeners, and I know there are tens of thousands of you, so you know I think it's important that you understand, if you may not be across Jeff Walsh's uh, lauded injury report, but um, last week... He decided he was so so short on on material that he decided to turn on us and uh, turn on this on this podcast. Uh, and I suppose if he came from a position of strength, that would be one thing. But he comes from a position of weakness. I mean, he 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 can barely read, which is why he misread the name of the podcast in question, so he referred to us as the Inside Scoop. Now, he's claiming, of course, that he did that deliberately. I challenge that that that, uh, that assertion. Uh, secondly, uh, his ability with the language is also in serious question, as you will now hear. Uh, that's about all we've got at the moment. Uh, let's hope uh, we can put our best foot forward in seven days' time. Further to that, S, is I believe um, Walsh might have also got a, a glimpse at the ratings, and I believe we might be just slightly out outscoring the uh, the old injury report. And what what do you do when you are under the pressure a bit? You get a bit defensive. So he's he's come out swinging. He's tried to bring us down to the uh, injury reports level, but uh, we'll stay strong. Yes, the podcast onward and upward. And um, but the, I guess he's trying to like garnish support as well. So he's got his cronies down at the age. Uh, your mates, yes, Gleason and Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> on board, sending late night texts and whatnot, and even writing about this in in the age, if anyone still yeah. reads the AGS. Um, but no, Gleason, we don't have to go there. Let's not attack. <laughs> a, a small part of my heart still stay oh, remains there. But um, no, it's it's. I mean, coming out, getting his his fourth estate henchman to come after us, and and uh, and then. Um, Protesting that you know, making out that we're uh, that um, we're of no threat to him whatsoever. The truth is, listeners, that uh, we're, we're he's under serious pressure, and he's also called on Dane Swan to he's enlisted Dane Swan for support, which 
we all love Swanee, yeah. and he could play a decent game of footy. But um, you judge by the company you keep, Walshy. And uh, fair to say, um, you know, I think you should be having a good look at yourself. I feel sorry for your lovely wife, Jane. Well, I think I, I like to see like Swanee and Walshy's like Dennis the Menace and, and Mr. Wilson. I think there's this. I mean, Swanee the or Dennis the cheeky cheeky little type that uh, ends up endearing the very grumpy and grouchy Mr. Wilson. So I think that's there's a lot of parallels between Dennis the Menace and um, and Mr. Wilson. So, but I don't know. We should see his flattery roles that he's that he's coming after us. He feels threatened. Um, we'll probably spend enough time on this now. But it's uh, the inside swoop scoop juggernaut will continue on. It's unstoppable, Mark. Not, <laughs> not even Jeff Walsh can get in the way. I mean, so uh, bumbling, you know, attack dog that he's now trying to be. He's grown as sort of a new age goatee to just spruce himself up. And and uh, I, I don't think this, all this travelling, this, this being on the road stuff is serving you very well. But um, we'll march on. Good luck to him. Yes. Marcus, uh, been an interesting... Few days, um, a couple of things have occurred. One, well, we're, we're talking to you, listeners, uh, on a Thursday, uh, Thursday the tenth, and you would like to talk a little bit about training. Let's talk to football for a moment. Um, there are a couple of notable things about our main training session today. We're not playing until Monday, of course, against Gold Coast, but um, and, and again, this further underlines why you don't have to wait for Walsh's washed-up injury report when you can come straight to the inside swoop. We'll, today, listeners, we can tell you that Jordan Degoe and Adam Trelaw joined full training. Uh, Jordan Degoe had the pin out of his finger yesterday. Um, Wags, well, I think I'll hand it to you because you can. You were more across the session itself, but... Um, it was actually a first today for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, just touching on those two boys, it was great to see him back in full training. Very sharp. Um, but the session allowed for it, and I'll, and I'll touch on the session shortly because it was unique in its own self. But yeah, both Geordie and, and Adzi got through training really well. Um, great to have them out there. Definitely putting their hands up for, for selection um, this week. So we'll see where that lands. But um, yeah, it's just fantastic to get them out and up and going. But the unique thing about training today is uh, since we've been in the hub, we haven't been able to run a full contact main training session with the whole group, and that's part of the, the COVID guidelines we've got. As we've got the bye this week, Riles, we're allowed one full group contact session, and it's the first time we've had that uh, since we've been in the hub. So what that means is we, we like playing match gym and, and replicating in-game scenarios. So we had... Uh, 18 v 18 with one rotator today, so we had 37 on the track, um, and just had a full full fledged hit out, which we haven't been able to do. So fundamentally, how we've been training is we have six small groups of uh, up to eight people, each run by a coach. They're the groups you can do full contact with, but that's only people in that group, um, and they got to be in separate parts of the ground or separate grounds entirely, just to keep the spacing and keep the COVID compliance going. We are allowed one full ground session a week, but that's non-contact. So that's literally just working on your shape and your ball movement, but that's that's under no physical contact, not even really any pressure. So today was a, a great day for us in that we were able to, I guess, release the shackles and go into a full ground, full contact match sim, and the boys were awesome. That's as, you just sit back and watch and go, if only you could train like that 
all year. And that's something everyone's got to take into account when they're watching the game is that teams haven't been able to train like they normally train. Mm. So our connection might be down and um, execution under pressure might be down because we're not given the chance to train in those situations. So just looking at how we train today, I mean, it started probably slow as the guys kind of felt each other out, and but the intensity was right up. And as the session went longer and longer, we just grew and grew. And you could just see if we were able to train like that permanently like we usually do. It, the benefits are huge. So mm. um, love the session today. It was great having those two boys back out there and, and hopefully it's something that we can explore, I guess, in the next few weeks. Hopefully we, if we do make finals um, in that week between round 18 and the first final, hopefully they open up to, to allow another full contact main training session with the whole group because the benefits are huge. I'm sure all teams would say that and no doubt we'll be much better placed after the session today. Mm. Before we continue with the football discussion, uh, Marcus, one of the absentees uh, today was Chris May. And people may remember that Chris was injured in the match against Carlton. He decided to run into the Mack truck that is Carlton's captain. And uh, he came off second best, is one way of putting it. He was... Um, uh, but the story behind there, there is a story, an interesting story about Maney's. He remained in Brisbane for the surgery uh, on the Sunday night. I think it was, or had it the next day on the Monday. And he was he he got out on the Monday afternoon, I believe, if, if my memory serves me correctly, um, after having three plates put into his face uh, around his eye and his cheekbone and whatnot. He and and he came out. He returned to to our uh, Sunshine Coast hub and would you believe it that the very next morning we're scheduled to have a COVID test. Now, for those of you who don't know what a COVID test entails, it is a swab that goes down your throat and up both nostrils. This is a man who's basically had half his face reconstructed. 24 hours later, less than 24 hours later, he's got a swab up his nose. So for mine, that's courage above and beyond. And uh, no one even wants to think about it. When we all heard about it and saw him walking out of the testing centre, people were recoiling, thinking how how ghastly that would be. And and I've got to say, he, he wasn't looking at at his best at the time. He was swollen and puffed up. And um, further to this, <laughs> to give you an indication of how much swelling there was in his face, uh, his phone. He's, the facial recognition feature on his phone <laughs> would not recognise him. That, that's how how um, puffed up and, and swollen he was post-surgery. And he still had to sit, have a COVID test. So our, uh, I, my, I applaud him because I think I may have said to the testers or to the AFL at that point, count me out. I'm not doing it. I'm weak at the best of times when it comes to those COVID tests, so I can only imagine he's a tough cookie, Maney, so I'm sure he wouldn't have even blinked. But yeah, <laughs> I remember him walking, we were, we were kind of mid-team review when he got back, and he just snuck in the back and sat sat next to me, I guess at the back of the meeting, and then and Dakes, Dakes was sitting in front of him, and at the end of the meeting, Dakes turned around and just looked at, looked at him. He kind of had this, just kind of assess what was going on, and then Dakes just comes up with, you look like Harvey Two-Face off Batman. <laughs> I thought, that's a bit rough. <laughs> it's, it's true, though, because one side of Mooney's face was like perfectly the same as it was, and the other side was just 
just very, very, yeah, very, very sick and sorry. And yeah, it's um, and Maney's just a fantastic human being. So he's saying hi to all the kids. And I know my little three-year-old was a bit, bit concerned about how how Maney's face looks. So she quickly tucked in behind my legs and and grabbed yeah. on. And um, but yeah, he's, he's progressing really well. He's he's just a fantastic individual, Maney. I'm sure he's going to get through it. But yeah, it's, he's copped a bit of stick from not only his phone and the boys around him, but. Yeah, he'll he'll be back bigger and stronger as as we know. Well, he has one fan, Nathan Murphy, and Nathan Murphy has taken his fandom to a, a, a an unbelievable level. Um, I think Nathan liked the look so much that he's since had reconstructive surgery <laughs> on his face as well. He's re- he returned to the uh, the hub yesterday after um, having a plate a couple of plates I think put into his face, and um, he's now looking like Chris Main did a week ago. Um, it's amazing. All swollen and oh. yeah, it's amazing how you can have two such similar incidents happen so close together, and we're pretty, pretty stiff in that sense. But yeah, yeah, feel feel for Murph. Um, not quite as bad as Maine. He's is a bit more, I guess, restricted to the eye region. But yeah, he he, uh, he was modelling his game on Maine to the nth degree. Yes, yes. Well, um, Marcus, we we should we talk a little bit about. Well, actually, before we go, we leave there. We'll talk a little bit about, more about hub life. Yeah, um, we've got Gilligan's Island over here uh, in the form of Levi Greenwood's little shack. Um, one of the first things that Levi did when he got up here was go to Bunnings. Um, he was allowed to go to Bunnings, drive in and drive out, or go and get it. And pre-order, get out. yeah. yeah pre-order his gear. Pick, pick and pluck. He got his. He got bamboo fencing. He got. Chairs. He's got a barbecue. He bought himself a barbecue. He's got baubles that sit on top of his Gilligan's Island like fence around the backyard of his little. Well, we're not calling it a backyard. Is is, is overstating it. Please, it, it's, it's it's impressive. He's got, don't forget the fake grass. He's got the fake grass. Yes, fake grass as well. This is Levi. Is he's he's taken to decorating his his little place with his surfboard there as well. He likes to surf, Levi. Um. So he, he probably gets the award for Home Beautiful Award of, yeah. of, of the Sunshine Coast 2020. Renovation of the year. Yes. Innovation of the year. Oh, it's <laughs> fantastic. I mean, you got to make it home, and he's definitely made it home. Now, that Levi and his, and his compadre, uh, Lyndon Dunn, they, uh, they're quick learners, those boys, and Dunny, being an ex-Melbourne player, had plenty, got plenty of mates on the Melbourne list at the Melbourne Footy Club, Melbourne are living here with us. So they took their cues from Harley Burnell. They found out that Harley and some of the Melbourne boys had been been out to buy some um, crab pots, basically nets. I think they got four for $100. They went and bought some, and they've been dropping them down in the mud flats on the, the estuary of the Maroochee River. And so our boys, Lyndon and, and, uh, and Levi, each night, Get down there, reset them, claim it. They had blue swimmer crab Thai curry last night. Um, they've been pulling out mostly mud crabs, but they were really chuffed to get a blue swimmer crab the other the other day. Um, they they got a couple. It's good good crab, the blue blue swimmer crab. Well, so Lyndon told me. I, I didn't. I couldn't tell the difference, but no, I wouldn't know the difference. But he was um, he was pretty excited by the fact that um, they're starting to get reward for effort. The boys and they're. Uh, their shoes sit out the front, dry off. Housekeeping, sorry. Hey, 
Yes, the uh, the blue swimmer crab. I, I I wouldn't know the difference between a blue swimmer crab and a mud crab, but but Lyndon was very very excited about jagging a few. So um, they're entertaining themselves. Um, hub life. We're in a bit of a rhythm, and and I, I now believe that we're staying here for the duration, however long our season lasts. Hopefully, it's got we're going through to the twenty fourth of October. Well, that's a good result because there was there was talk of a consolidation of of hubs. Obviously, if we do make finals, getting the final seems to all I guess mm. hub in together. I guess save a bit of money, but yeah, we're, we're very lucky to be up at Twin Waters. Um, so if we can stay here first, we've got to qualify. If we qualify, and then. And then get to stay here, then that's a fantastic result. Yep, yep. Um, let's turn our minds back to to the game. We're just talking about training and being able to resume having at least one session of full training and sort of the benefits of that. But um, uh, let's revisit some of the things that you spoke about, Marcus, early in our uh, illustrious career as podcasters, which was um, momentum swings for one, and we had a bit of a bit of a discussion around the footballs. At one stage too, which uh, I think we both want to touch on again. Yeah, I think. Well, we didn't know what the game was going to look like back back when we started started the pod, and we kind of we had a bit of a discussion, and I guess we had differing opinions on on this momentum swings because I remember you were saying without crowds, it's going to be hard to generate momentum, and I just thought, given the shorter games and 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 that kind of thing, there'd be huge momentum swings, and I think that's a. That's what we have seen. So it's kind of a, a little little tap on the old back there. But it's you remember so many games this year where there's just been wicked momentum swings, and it's made it quite exciting. Other there's the game from the weekend, Carlton Sydney was perfect example. I mean, most Carlton games have had had some form of momentum swing in either either they've been jumped early and and pegged the other team back, or they've or they've started really well and the other teams come back at them. But I think the most telling one was the. Uh, the Essendon versus Hawthorne game at Adelaide Oval. That was Hawthorne were absolutely dominant in the first half, and then third quarter just showed what I guess one player or, or a bit of bit of brilliance can do. And that's when Joey Danaher just decided to go mm. nuts and and turn the whole game around. So these huge momentum swings are happening. Um, it could be to do with the way well, the way we're training, and and I guess once you get some momentum, you get. The game on your terms, it's it's harder to peg back because I guess you haven't got that that same level of touch. But it also could just be the the stabilising of the the six 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 rule because centre bounce just opens up the opportunity to, to really capitalise. Mm. If you get right on top at centre bounce, it's much harder to to get numbers behind the ball and and the grounds we're playing at Gabba particularly Adelaide Oval and Metricon they're all conducive to to stoppage scoring and centre bounce scoring. So that could be leading a bit towards your your momentum swings as well. But um, yeah, it's amazing that you're never out of the game or you're never home. So it's mm. it's. I know the Gabba we always talk about is it's a centre bounce scoring venue. So if if you can get on top in there and get real dominance with your mids, you can get back in the game really really quickly, mm. or you can put a put it side away really quickly, and that's what Brisbane do so well, and that's why mm. they play the ground so well. Their ball movement is is sped right up. We saw that against Gold Coast last night, but. If they're on top of centre bounce, it's it's literally good luck to you. So, mm. um, I think we we have seen that. We we went heavily into the defensive side of the game, and with defence taking over and, and getting good players back in defensive aerial, it's great to see the uh, the key forwards coming back into the game. I think, like anyone, I guess you write what you what you see, but 
the big forwards were written off early in the year and now they're the ones mm. really having impact on the game and um, particularly Tom Hawkins, Charlie Dixon, uh, Coxie's coming back into the side for us and, and provided a real beacon in the last last few weeks. Um, but you, you need your key forwards firing because these defensive aerial players were taking over the game. So mm. if you can match that with your key forwards, you're giving yourself a really good chance. But the thing that's more and more evident playing games up in Queensland is once that sun goes down, geez, the ball gets slippery. slippery. Yeah. And that's going to be a real challenge come finals time <laughs> if they're playing a lot of night games at the Gabba is your ball handling and doing the basics better than the opposition are going to win you the games. And you, I wasn't so much the the dewiness of the ground, but the Fremantle-Melbourne game stands out in that Frio just did the basics so well in that game. It was just clean feedback to time and space and, and go. And if you can get those basics right, you are you're halfway home, particularly mm-hmm. in those conditions. And if you if your big boys in front of the ball can can clunk a few in those conditions, then great. But even if they bring it to ground and, and your smalls are really clean, like picture Cam Rayner coming through versus the Gold Coast, as clean as a whistle in those front and centers. If you your clean players are really good, good um, with their hands are going to really stand out. And so that's where teams like the, the Western Bulldogs are coming through now because they are as good as anyone with their clean hands and their mm-hmm. and their handball in tight. It's um, those who are cleaner are going to be be much better suited to, to finals conditions up here. But mm. it's going to be a very interesting watch. Obviously, there's going to be some games in Adelaide if if and when Port qualify for home finals. So that'll be a different look in itself. That's one one thing I remember going back to Adelaide for our game there is you forget what that winter bite in the air is like. Yeah. It's a it's a it's almost like where's my where's my hoodie going because you're just kicking around in shorts and a t-shirt up here, which we're very lucky to do. But it's a different it's a different kind of environment back in the southern states. So yeah. Um, yeah. and it's only going to get hotter and hotter come finals time, come October. So it'll be very interesting. But yeah, the one thing coming back to the footies, the one thing you hear from both teams, every player that rotates to the bench is they all want Grippo on their hands. It's, yeah. it's comes back to this football issue, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. It's Again, using brand new balls with with lacquer to protect the sponsors' logos. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. If that's not the case, but we're at training today, and we had we busted out some brand new balls. Obviously, we try and simulate as best we can match conditions. So we had brand new balls today, but we also had our, I guess, balls that have been in in rotation for about a month. And it's a different ball. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Is a yeah. different ball game with the balls that have been out for a month versus the balls that are brand new. And and there's got to be something you can do about that. I mean. Mm. Surely we can produce footies that are, are more ready for game day than, than what they are. I know we kick them in, but I kicked. I left that job to myself the other day to kick the footies in before our. Uh, I think it was our North Melbourne game. So I took all the all the game day balls down to the oval and kicked them around all over the place for about forty five minutes. I've got a broken foot. I'm going to put in a bloody claim because <laughs> yeah. it was so hard. Well, but normally it's 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 Disco, our property steward. Yeah. Um, we should give a shout out to him. His uh, 60th birthday is coming up, and uh, so uh, when I say coming up, I think it's next Tuesday. I yeah. think it might be. So, um, but Disco and Shan, Shannon Collins, our COVID compliance officer, and you, Marcus, have been doing a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, but it takes about 15 minutes per ball, doesn't it, to knock them in, and you need 15 balls per match. Do it, do it properly, and it'll take. It takes longer. So that's where I think it's like. Um, You'd come back like a cricket bat. You wouldn't use a brand new cricket bat unless it was knocked in. So mm. there's got to be a way we can knock these balls in before we get to get them out of the packet. And I'd love, I'd love Sharon to trial different things with the footy. Like it might sound stupid, but even like pre pre cracking the leather so it's a mm. bit more grippy and a bit more shaped, or 
trying to not trying a synthetic ball because we sh- the, ga- the game shouldn't suffer through ball handling. I think mm. if, if you should be able to handle the ball in all conditions. And I think the old days, back to the old days, Riles, as they say, there was only ever one ball used in a game. So it was always kicked in. It might be a bit rough rough and rugged early and it might get a bit heavy late in games, but you could always handle it. Um, we've got yeah, six to eight brand new balls each game plus plus, a, I guess, a supplementary group of balls that go around the boundary line, which are, I guess, a bit more kicked in or kind of get less pointy. But mm. we, there's got to be a way to make sure the ball's not having an impact on the game. I think it's just, let's just create a ball that just is ready to go. Um, we should explain for the listeners that um, due to COVID um, and the possibility that footballs may go over the fence and therefore be touched by a member of the public, um, those balls are no longer allowed to be used during the course of the game. So what they've done is place balls with 15 of them around the ground. So in the event that a ball goes over the fence, one can be picked up that is over the boundary, but inside the fence that has not been touched by a member of the public and can bring the, that can be brought straight back into play and therefore there's very little interruption to the game. Um, Jer- uh, our friend Ruffy, Jordan Ruffhead, Brilliant piece of uh, COVID compliance. Uh, we should give Shan a pat on the back for this. In the game against Carlton, uh, a ball went over the fence near our race. A member of the public threw it back. I'm convinced that 99 out of 100 players would have picked it straight back up and played on and, and sort of taken the free kick. I think the ball went out of bounds on the full, something like that. And Ruffy pointed at it said, I can't touch that ball. And this is... Late in the, this is in a game we were, it was still up for grabs, and he, I can't touch that ball. And we had to wait for one, a ball, the bound jumper brought one along the ground, but he was exactly right. He's not allowed to touch them. So that, hence the 15, 15 footballs that um, are in use in each match. He got a gold star in his scrapbook for that one from Shem, the big rough. Yes, yes. Big, big smiley face and a, and a tick. <laughs> so. Yes, yes. So, um, but that's, I mean, yeah. That's, we'll touch on those trends, but it's, it's going to be a great watch. Um, as I said, look out for the, the teams that handle the ball well in these conditions because they're going to, ones that, going to be the ones that really flourish in the next six mm. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there a possibility that as we move in, into October that humidity might come into play, particularly, you know, as you say, playing a lot of night football at the finals, a lot of them will be played at night. It is going to get wet. So... Is that a possibility to neutralise the key forwards, the big forwards who, if they're those sort of trading weight side of players, I mean, they're still going to get ground ball goals and things like that, but I wonder whether it might neutralise them a little bit, that advantage, that big power guy coming out of the square, being able to take and catch it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's, it's just I'm speculating there because I'm thinking about what it might be like in a month's time and it's, it's starting to get more humid in Queensland. But I've been looking at the way Charlie Dixon and... The Tom Walker been marking in all conditions. I think they're they're just in really good nick with their hands, and mm. you see a lot of Tom Tom Hawkins's body work. He does body work early. Defenders like to or claim or the ones who do claim in front. He just works them under the ball and goes back on the chest mark. Easy to mark that in a wet yeah. condition. So yeah, it all comes into play. But yeah, we just hope it's going to be a super competitive last six weeks, and and hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's a good spectacle for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a little bit to come once the season begins. It's a whole new season begins, which the is season, yeah. the off season, yeah. and it's the 
it's the trade period. It's it's the medical, um, you know, the ex- examinations and the the exit interviews that all players have when their season uh, is finished. But then we've got a trade period which is going to start in early November. Um, it, there's going to be a lot a lot happening, but the industry is basically up here. Uh, I don't know that it's going to probably change things too much in that we've all got accustomed to working remotely. So I think that's going to serve us well. But mm-hmm. typically it's going to be different. Um, but I wonder, what, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think it's going to have any any effect on is going to change the, the the nature of that off season much? Yeah, I think it's well. Each team's going to be kind of running their own way. But you think if the restrictions stay the same and the players are allowed to, I guess, spend a bit of their off season up here, you're going to have a bulk number of players up here. You're going to have a lot of the the list managers and general managers of football. You're going to have a lot of the AFL staff. You could actually make it a an event in itself, the trade week, because it's a it's a massively popular time. I correct me if I'm wrong in the media world, but mm. Ratings for papers and trade podcasts and radio is through the roof for the mm. trade period. So they need content. So I think, I mean, one idea would be to just just nominate three or four guys from your club that have to remain up here to, to complete the trade period. Make this, extends this period away, but it's probably logical because all, all the big players are going to be up here. Mm. You can have your face-to-face interviews. Um, the media guys can get their content each day from live from the – the mouth instead of being from Zoom. I know Zoom's worked pretty well, but but you can also catch up with the players post season if 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 that's allowed or if it's um, available to us. Because one way that one way, shape, or form, depending on where list size lands, there's going to be a truckload of player movement. There's mm. going to be players that you can't contract because of list size. There's going to be players becoming available that you that you might not have thought are available. So it's going to be it's going to be the most hectic trade period and most mm. um, I guess there's going to be the most moves I reckon in, in this trade period or at least list movements so not necessarily trades but delistments and whatnot over this period so I think keeping clubs consolidated together allows more to happen and makes it much more efficient and if we're doing it over mm. Zoom it's near on impossible really because you might have four or five people in the room all talking each, over each other on the Zoom whereas in, in person it's a bit more mm. I guess civilised and you can really get to the issue quicker but I guess we'll wait and see, but that, that was one idea I thought is they could set up a, a trade hub. They've had yeah. every other hub. Why not yeah. have a trade hub and trade hub. get it branded up and have everyone, all the list managers, all the GMs available for comment every day. Um, there's going to be players around because you're going to be holidaying up here, so you can have your interviews, you can um, meet the coach, you can do your medicals. All that can happen on site because back in Melbourne, unfortunately, it's going to be near on impossible. Mm. You're going to have to do it all remotely. So... Yeah, well, it just means that teams that get knocked out early finals or don't make finals are going to have to decide what they do, whether they hang mm. around or not, or whether they're allowed to hang around or not. So interesting, very, very interesting trade period coming up. You can already see it starting to generate some legs in, in the media. I know it's particularly for teams that are now out of the race to keep relevant. Obviously, there's the trade kicks in and the list yeah. management side kicks in. So massive period it's, it's the time frames are exactly the same so a week after the grand final will kick straight into free agency and then on the friday and then on the monday it's the trade trade period and then another free agency period or delisted free agency period on the back of that so it's all going to happen very quick so i think if while, while we've got the industry together let's mm. let's nail it if 
the, the suggestion at the moment is that it will be a primary list of 38 players and two rookies. So, in effect, a squad of 40, which would be a, a, um, a decrease of four to five, six players at the moment. Most clubs are running with 44 and rookies and something like that. So, um, um, if, but if we've got to come down four or five players, some of whom you, in, in a normal year you might have kept, do you think that that it's going to lead clubs to head into the draft with their bare minimum of three? That that they're going to take, they would rather take player forty off someone else's list than take a punt on a kid with pick sixty-seven in the draft. You you you're obliged to go with three, but I can see the possibility where the the, the number of choices in the draft may may come down. As clubs go with something a bit more bankable, yeah, it's it's going to be. I think most will have keep their options open a bit in that space, so they'll mm. they want to explore what's available. But that's the other part. The uh, majority of the talent pool comes from Victoria, and there's been no games, so I mean that's the other thing. Is like the draft doesn't necessarily have to be as early as being proposed. That could be pushed back to at least if restrictions ease enough to potentially get a mini carnival in once the school year's over, VCE's over, and just give clubs something to look at and something to hang their hat on because at the moment they haven't got much except the, um, I guess, the 16s and yeah. the 17s and what they've seen. So it gives the players the best chance to – and it'll show who's, I guess, kept themselves in good nick and been professional through this period. And But I don't think there's any rush on the draft. I think that could be held any time January, even early Feb because we you want to be able to pick with a bit more knowledge than, I guess, what, what's been seen in, in Victoria this year. Obviously, the other states have, have – um, kept going and they've had some some guys really stand out out of that but yeah I think to answer your question most most teams I reckon will keep their options open mm. so give themselves the capacity to re-sign players but not compromise their draft hand so they'll have a look at the draft and then if they're not don't like what they see they'll just go back back to what they know mm. that's the beauty about having I guess the list um, the list lodgement times the way they are yeah yeah alright Marcus um, to close out each edition of the Inside Swoop, we finish with a, uh, with a book review. And uh, this week, that, that responsibility is yours. It's and amateur hour for me, Riles. You are clearly the expert at this. So I'll, I'll keep this very, very short and sharp, and it's along my usual trend. I like, I like my business slash sport combinations. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is one I came across uh, about the Tampa Bay Rays in the baseball. So it's called The Extra 2% how Wall Street strategies took a major league baseball team from worst to first. And I also like a Cinderella story. Everyone likes a Cinderella story. But I guess and this one's by Jonah Kerry, I believe. You're a wordsmith Riles. Is that how you say that? That's how I would pronounce it, Oh, yes. very good. So I'm, I'm learning. K- K-E-R-I. Correct. Kerry. Um, so, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy this book. Pretty light read, so it's not overly taxing um, from a content perspective. Uh, one thing it doesn't delve into is really the intangibles of a team making a mad run up the ladder, the the emotion, the um, I guess the galvanisation of your, of your supporter group and all that kind of thing. But what it was really good at outlining, which which most good I guess organisations do now, is looking for those efficiencies in processes. So they got these I guess more a young GM with with some guys who had some experience in Wall Street and just look for some efficiencies, but. At the end of the day, what I really liked about this is it marries up with kind of my 
philosophy is that you still got to have the right people in the right roles um, and letting their strength shine. So when you, I guess, these guys took over the organization, they looked inside first to see see where the strengths of the people they already had were and make sure they were in, in right roles. And I think comparing that to footy, there's so many quality people in footy. Um, and sometimes when clubs are struggling, it's just might just need to, to put someone in a role that suits their strengths a little better, but they're, they're generally quality people. So, and if you find something where there's a gap in your organization in a skill set or, or a cultural aspect, that's where you can go outside and, and bring new people in. So that's what these guys did. Really strong on once you've got your right people, it's all about delegation, not micromanagement. I think a lot of these big baseball teams, NBA teams, uh, with really strong ownership, that's where micromanagement kicks in. They, they think they they know better than everyone else, but if you've got really good people, you just you set the agenda, you set the framework and the organisational, I guess, direction and, and let your people do the work. And that's where that initial order of getting the right people in the right roles is is pivotal. But the, the other part is... is Curiosity, and I'm big on that. Is just continually searching for information, um, asking the right questions, looking at mm. better ways to do things. I think footy is a bubble, and sometimes you can get caught up in your own, I guess, self-importance as an industry. Sometimes you just got to have someone who's just got the curiosity to explore, ask the right questions, and and but you don't it doesn't necessarily shift you off your course. It just provides a different mm. alternative, and that's that discussion is pivotal to being successful. As I said, it's not not the perfect book, but it's a, it's a good read for someone who likes that that business, like that management slash leadership type type book with the uh, with the, I guess the overarching sporting theme. That's where this is good. I, I kind of like that link between a sporting book and a management book because it, you get that. That's what I would have liked this book to do a bit more is to delve into that the emotion side of of the rise up the ladder. Mm. But um, at least it gives you a really good indication of how quickly. You can, you can, I guess, get a spike out of it, any organization by just looking at your people. So, yeah, really interesting book for those business-minded slash sporting-minded, a bit less less of the emotional side as you're surfing and <laughs> surfing eclectic, weird books, rails, but a well, good one nonetheless. I've got a question for you, though. Um, why should we be taking lessons from Wall Street who have thoroughly disreputable in, in, I mean, I, I take it that there's some bright people work there, but I mean, they, they led to the near collapse of the financial, you know, the, 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 the capitalism in, in not that long ago. And um, so, and, and, and as I understand it, not someone who's ever worked in that industry, but, uh, you know, having read a lot of Michael Lewis's stuff, who, uh, you know, a Wall Street refugee who's become, you know, a celebrated author, um, he, he often wrote disparagingly about Wall Street as a way of what not to do because yeah. they were, you know, self-interested and voracious and just greedy and egocentric. And um, so, but you, in, in this book, he says that there's things to take from Wall Street, yeah. does he? So well, I think I think the Wall Street, yeah. If you take the worst out of Wall Street, I think this is more looking at, I guess, efficiencies and process and setting up some measurements around how you can how you can get the most out of your organisation. So mm. it's somewhat misleading. It's more like it, it's all common bloody sense rails, really, right. <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, There's but, an interesting opening paragraph for you, listeners. It's all bloody common sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just a different ways to articulate it. And I think what it does show is just if, you can you can still focus on your people while being kind of ruthlessly efficient as well. So yeah. it's it's yeah. that I think that's the sweet spot in this. And there's a lot of romance in baseball, and so it's combining that romance and having great people with 
some ruthless efficiencies and some really concrete measurements that take you forward. So it's, as I said, it's yeah, not perfect, but it's a, it's a really interesting read to see, I guess, taking the best aspects of the people side of Wall Street and applying and the, mm. the efficiency side of Wall Street and applying not not the wolf on Wall Street side of things. Yes. There's not, none, none of that going on in this book. So. Okay. The extra 2%, how Wall Street strategies took a major league baseball team from worst to first are by you, Jonah Kerry. Oh, great pronunciation. But as I said, Riles, you are the master of the book review. I just, no, 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 I well, just churn it out, something a bit different. No, interesting. It'd be, um, I'd be fascinated to see what – I'd like to see what Michael Will, oh, Michael Wilson – Michael Lewis had to say about it. Don't tell but, me Michael Wilson's potting this as well. <laughs> well – we might leave on that. It wouldn't surprise me if while she was trying to enlist, you know, anyone yeah. to his cause, he, he's that threatened by us. So, um, no, no, we'll we'll put our arm around him. We'll make sure we'll, you know, as we continue to soar away from him in the ratings, uh, we'll, we'll we'll offer him some advice and some and help him along, and um, you know, we'll, we'll do our best with a well. I don't want to say anymore. No, no, we'll no. we'll leave it. We'll see what he. I'm sure he'll leave us alone now. But if he if he comes back, well, maybe now that he's referencing the podcast on his injury report, he, he might get a spike in rating. So we'll see how you go, Walshy. But uh, it's uh, all the best for your your next rating cycle. <laughs> all right, listeners, it's been a pleasure. Uh, signing off from Stephen Riley and Marcus Wagner, episode ten of the Inside Swoop. 